that he would be crucified between um, criminals, that he would be buried in the <coughs> grave of a rich man, that he would rise again, that he would go to heaven and pray for those that believed in him. You'll find all of that in Isaiah chapter 53, but often people miss the first verse of that chapter, and arguably it's the most important verse in the chapter. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Right, so before Isaiah sets out this wonderful truth about Jesus dying on the cross for us, he says, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's actually two questions in there, except the circle didn't get to the right place. <laughs> uh, who has believed... And to whom has the arm of the Lord... Oh, that one worked. Whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So two questions. Who has believed the message about Jesus dying? And to whom has God revealed himself? They're two very different questions. Uh, there's lots of people who can answer yes to the first question. Lots of people can say, yes, I believe. I, I believe that Jesus died for our sins. Yeah, maybe they heard it somewhere. And uh, they, if you ask them, they would say, yes, I believe that. Jesus died for our sins. And uh, probably most, if not all of you here today would say that. Yes, we believe Jesus died on the cross for us. But the second question is a very different one. To whom has God revealed himself? It's in there's fewer people that can answer yes to that question. People that have looked at the cross of Jesus... And God has opened their eyes and they've seen this was for me. They've seen something about why Jesus was hanging there. And it's not just something they've seen with the natural eyes. They haven't just sort of prayed a little prayer saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. But something has gone right into the depths of their hearts and they know that he died for them. And they know that he was hanging there on their behalf. I wonder how much you've seen of the cross of Jesus. The wonderful thing to me about it is that however long you've been a Christian, there's still more to see about it. And uh, I'd like us to pray together, but it's up to you whether you pray this prayer, that God will today show us more about the cross. Right? If you want to see more about the cross of Jesus, maybe you've never really seen it for yourself, or maybe you think you've seen lots and lots, but... There's still more to see. Will you pray with me today that God will show us more about the cross? Let's just pray a simple prayer together. If you want to pray, just pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the cross. And I pray today that you will open my eyes and you will show me more of what it means for me. Amen. So, I said not many people have really had that revelation from God. And you know, on the day that Jesus hung on the cross, it seems to me there were only two people that really understood anything of what was going on. And they were the two most unlikely people that you could imagine. They weren't Jesus' disciples, right? For three and a half years, Jesus had been speaking to his disciples, teaching them, 
And on many occasions, he'd actually mentioned the fact that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to um, die, and that he was going to rise again. They heard him say that, and yet when it actually came to it, we read they were standing at a distance, and from other scriptures we learn that uh, really all their hopes have been dashed. They thought everything that we believed in, it's all gone wrong, it's all fallen apart here today. So they didn't have the revelation about what was going on. You would think that the Jewish leaders might have known what was going on. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew scriptures like Isaiah 53 and those prophecies that I referred to. They knew scriptures like Psalm 22, Psalm 69, various psalms that speak about the crucifixion of the Messiah. And yet, they actually that they didn't understand what was going on, but actually they fulfilled prophecy by sneering at Jesus because the scriptures had said that's what they would do. And they just sneered at him and they mocked him. So it wasn't his disciples who understood. It wasn't the Jewish leaders or the scribes or the Pharisees that understood. But as I said, the two most unlikely people, a common criminal, a thief, one of the thieves on the cross, and a Roman centurion, an officer of the um, army that was occupying Israel by force at the time, the enemies of Israel. And one of their centurions understood what was going on. So I want to concentrate mainly on the uh, centurion today, but let's just think briefly about the thief on the cross. Remember there were two thieves, at one either side of Jesus, and if you read... Um, the other Gospels, you'll find that initially both of them were hurling abuse at Jesus. But after a while, one of them stopped and started saying something different. And what he said was something far beyond himself. This guy was receiving revelation from God. The first thing he says about Jesus is that he's done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. Why should he think that? He's, he's hanging on a cross people were put on crosses because they'd done something wrong. And yet this thief knows that guy hasn't done anything wrong. But then he says something even more amazing. Like, remember the guy on the cross next to him, he's got hours to live. And yet he turns to him and he speaks about a future kingdom in which that man hanging there is going to be the king. And he also believes that in that kingdom... There's a place for thieves that repent. How did he know that? That God was giving him revelation and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Would you say that to a guy who's almost dead? That thief did and he knew what he was talking about. But as I say, I want us to think mainly about the centurion today. So in Luke's gospel, we read this. The centurion, seeing what had happened praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. But if we look at Matthew's Gospel, we find what looks like a contradiction. You know, people often say the Bible is full of contradictions. Well, look at this. In Matthew's Gospel, we read, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. Right, so Luke says that this guy praised God and Matthew says that he was terrified. Can both of those be true or is it a contradiction? Well, 
I believe that uh, the Bible often appears to have contradictions, but if we study them and study other scriptures, they can be explained. And I want to take you through this morning what I believe happened to that centurion. I believe it was a similar experience as happened to the thief, and it's a similar experience that have happened to many people throughout the ages, hopefully many of you here today. So, what happened to the centurion? First of all, I believe he experienced the fear of God. From 12 noon until 3 p.m., it was totally black. In the middle of the day, the sun stopped shining and it, there was darkness over the whole land. And then at 3 o'clock, when Jesus died, there's an earthquake. And the centurion, he's already uneasy, this strange sort of darkness and things that are going on, perhaps things that Jesus is saying from the cross. And when at 3 p.m. Jesus dies and there's an earthquake, the guy is terrified. He thinks there's something supernatural going on here. This isn't just some ordinary crucifixion. He would have witnessed lots of other crucifixions, but never one like this before, where even the sun refuses to shine. And then there's an earthquake when the man dies. He experienced the fear of God. So did the thief. Remember the, the thief said to the other thief, don't you fear God? Uh, we, we deserve what we're getting here, but this man has done nothing wrong. Don't you fear God? It's not a popular subject these days. Everybody wants to talk about the love of God, but actually the Bible says a great deal about the fear of God. Jesus said that we should fear God. Right, so that's a high enough authority for me. If Jesus said it, then it's valid. It is a valid and right thing that we should fear the living God because he is holy, he is righteous, and we are far from that. And that's a fearful thing. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and yet we treat him so lightly. People have said we, these days we worship God Almighty instead of God Almighty. But uh, these guys knew something about the fear of God as they stood before the cross. And that centurion was absolutely terrified. But it didn't stop there. We sometimes sing, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." We like to get on to the second bit. But, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Have you had that experience of of realising the awfulness of your sin, realising the holiness of God, and thinking, God, I'm absolutely lost unless you help me. I'm, I'm sunk, I'm finished. I've been there many, many times, and it's a great place to be, because it's only when we're there that we can really experience that grace of God. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. So first of all, the centurion experienced the fear of God. And then I believe he was absolutely convinced of Jesus' innocence. As we read, he said, this was a righteous man. The thief as well said, this man has done nothing wrong. When Pilate was uh, trying Jesus, he received a message from his wife saying, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I've suffered much in my dreams because of him. Pilate says to the, the people, I, I don't find any fault in this man. He sends him off to Herod for judgment. And Herod sends him back saying, I can't find anything wrong with him as well. 
On another occasion in John chapter 8, Jesus was addressing a whole crowd of people, a lot of whom were hostile towards him, and he said, which of you convicts me of sin? And nobody could say a word against him. They didn't like what he was saying, but nobody could say, yes, you did this, you did that. Nobody could find anything against him because this was the perfect man, the only man perfect to ever live. And the centurion became convinced of this fact. He was a righteous man. Now, we said earlier that there seemed to be a contradiction between uh, Matthew and Luke, one of them speaking about Jesus, uh, about the centurion praising God, one of them speak about the centurion being terrified. But it actually, even in Luke's account, let me just go back to that. If you just look at Luke on its own, it doesn't make sense. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Why would you praise God if you realised that you'd just been responsible for crucifying a man who was totally innocent? doesn't make sense, does it? But I hope by the end of this message it will make sense to you. So that was the, the next thing that he realised that Jesus was totally innocent. There are many people today who would believe that of Jesus and say, yes, he was a righteous man, he was a good man. Even people that aren't Christians, you go out in Loughton today and ask people what they think of Jesus. Many people would say, yes, he was a good man. And uh, I believe that we should follow the things that he said. They don't normally know much about what he said, but... Uh, uh, if they did, they might be horrified by some of it. But they know, yes, Jesus was a good man. But that's not enough to believe that. The centurion came to realise, yes, he was a righteous man. But he also said, this man was the Son of God. He realised that Jesus was more than just, he wasn't just a good human being. He was the Son of God. Remember that day when Jesus spoke to Pete, to all the disciples, and said, uh, yeah, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, some say this, some say that. He says, yeah, but what do you say? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, you didn't work that out in your head. It wasn't flesh and blood that told you that. You've had a revelation. Right? And the centurion had had this revelation. Jesus was the Son of the living God. I wonder if you've had that revelation today, not because flesh and blood has told you, not because you've heard it in a church, but you absolutely know Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He's the one who's alive forevermore. He sits on the throne of the universe. Hallelujah. And the centurion realised that when he was standing right in front of the cross. But then we come to the most amazing thing, it says he praised God. Why? Why did he praise God? Well, if you look at uh, the second and third point, think about it a bit. If Jesus was innocent, he didn't deserve to be hanging on the cross, right? If he'd done no sin, he didn't deserve to be hanging on the cross. But if Jesus was the Son of God, he could have escaped the cross. He had the power to walk away from it. That's exactly what the rulers were saying to him. You know, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross. So 
if he didn't deserve to be there and he had the power to walk away from it and Jesus himself confirmed that you know, before he went to the cross he said I could call 12 legions of angels that's 72,000 he says I could call 72,000 angels and they would come and rescue me but he didn't do it so if he didn't deserve to be there and he didn't have to be there why was he there? He wasn't there on his own behalf. He was there for me. He was there for the thief. He was there for the centurion. He was there for every person that will recognize that, that Jesus Christ on the cross bore their sins. Now, I'm not saying that the centurion you know, understood all of that exactly as I've spelt it out. I'm not saying that he could have preached a sermon about it at that point. But I'm saying that suddenly standing there at the cross he had a peace in his heart and he knew that although he'd sinned his sins were forgiven and do you know what joy started coming into his heart and right there at the scene this awful scene where the son of God is now hanging dead he's praising God hallelujah he started, people around knew it that's why they recorded it he's praising God at the cross and do you know, ever since, all through the ages, people have been praising God for the cross. That centurion, a Roman, of the occupying power in Israel, he was the first guy to do it. But look at your songbooks, whether it's an old songbooks or new songbooks, you will find song after song after song that is praising God for the cross. Oh, praise him. One of my favourites, it's an old one, so you youngsters won't know it, but it says, I looked, and lo, from Calvary's cross, a healing fountain stream, it cleansed my heart, and now I sing, praise God, I am redeemed. And that's what was happening to that centurion there. Now at Goldings, we often sing a song that speaks about the darling of heaven, crucified. Why would you sing? That, that sounds something terrible, doesn't it? The darling of heaven crucified. Why would you sing about it? You know, why is it that we get so joyful when we sing songs like that? Or we sing man of sorrows. What a name for the son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Why are we so joyful when we think about this? Are we crazy or something? Well, probably we are. Uh, <laughs> But I tell you what, we've had a revelation, or at least I have, I hope you have, that we look at that cross and we know that's the source of everything that we have. I'm forgiven because of the cross. Oh, I can remember years ago, I'd done some, as a Christian, I'd done some terrible things and uh, my, my life was in a mess and I walked into a, a meeting one day and they were singing a, a song Again, this is years ago, but uh, some of you might know it. I get so excited, Lord, every time I realise I'm forgiven. And that morning, the, the truth of that song just burnt into my heart afresh. And I knew it, I'm forgiven. Doesn't matter what I've done, I'm forgiven. And that's why we can sing at the cross. That's why we can worship like that centurion did. Now, if you've... Um, been around for my last two messages, and if you were, you were awake, um, you know that I've 
spoken a couple of times about worship in the first message. I spoke about worship even in times when we're weeping and, uh, in the, and took examples from the scriptures of people who were in deep sorrow and yet they worshipped. In the second message I spoke about worship even in weakness or I called it worship and walking sticks and uh, even though there's weakness in our lives we can still worship God. But you know you can't do either of those things. You can't worship in times of weeping and you can't worship in your weakness unless you've learned to worship at the cross of Jesus. That's where it all begins. When we look at the cross and we know that this guy hanging there in utter weakness himself, forsaken by everybody, even his own disciples, and, uh, and yet we know he's hanging there for us. And before he died he cried out, It is finished. He had finished the work that he came to do. And that puts a song of rejoicing in our hearts. When I first became a Christian, I didn't understand very much about the, the cross of Jesus. When I look back, I think I understood very little. I mean, I would have said, yes, Jesus died for me on the cross, but uh, I didn't really understand much of what that meant. But a, a year or so later, I was on holiday with my mum and dad in Fandidno in North Wales, and a farm labourer was preaching on the seafront. I'll never ever forget his message. And I think it's had more impact on my life than any other message I ever heard. And he was speaking there about the cross of Jesus. Uh, you know, Paul writing to the Galatians says, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified to you. So he was talking about his, how you know, he had presented to them Christ crucified. And this farm labourer on Clandidno Seafront did that that night. And as I listened to him, I, I felt I was there. Yeah, and I saw Jesus dying for me on the cross. And knowing, yes, this was all for me. And I say I never forgot it. Actually, a couple of years ago, I thought I must tell this guy, see if I could get in touch with him and tell him what an impact had on my life. And uh, I sent some letters and it, it turned out he died just before then, but I was able to tell his widow what a, a great blessing that this guy had been to me. And uh, I love to preach about the cross. There's no, nothing I would rather speak about. And uh, this is our most wonderful theme. It's the theme of our worship. It's the, 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 the theme of the gospel that we preach. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, have you just believed it, or have you had revelation about it? Have you seen that it's for you? I'm praying that you may have seen something more this morning, and that you'll act on that. And if there's a, like the, the centurion, there's a song in your heart, well then let that song come out. Let's give thanks to God for the cross. Well, we're running very early today, that means we've got... Uh, Lots of time to praise God for the cross. Where's the music man go? Oh, there he is, right. <laughs> so, let's worship together at the cross of Jesus. If anybody wants prayer afterwards, please come to the front and we'll be glad to pray with you. God bless you.